Last mile is always the least crowded because most people take very short-term decisions. And I think the people that do the best in life are those that are thinking, how can I create good decades, not good days? All remarkable results come from very unremarkable things being done daily. I'm your host, Rob Cook, and this is Contenders Wanted. The show where we believe incredible success doesn't have to come at the expense of your family, your faith, or anything else that makes life worth living. Too many success stories nowadays celebrate people who either sacrificed these things for their own success or became successful before realizing the importance of them. Our mission is to show the world you can have both incredible success and the things that make your goals worth reaching for. We know it's possible because we've seen it in our own lives and the lives of our guests. So if you'd like a little inspiration and some tools to help you on your own journey, then join us where contenders are always wanted. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Contenders Wanted. Before we jump into the pre-show, just want to make a quick announcement here. We're only going to be releasing a couple more episodes and then we're actually going to be taking a break for a couple months here during the summer and then we're going to be starting back up again in the first week of September. If you want to make sure that you don't miss that new first episode the first week of September, please run to our website at www.contenderswanted.com slash subscribe to sign up for our email list. That way we'll let you know of any updates going on during the summer and also of that upcoming episode the first week of September. So with that, let's just jump right into the episode. What are some of the life lessons you learned while playing a competitive sport or activity? Do you think of teamwork from the football field? or maybe composure on the golf course, or maybe it's how to think ahead from chess, or maybe it's how to take a little risk from your favorite family card game. Either way, games and competition have a funny way of teaching us many life lessons, and our guest today has some incredible insights gathered while playing competitive poker at the highest levels online. Emil Ekvart became a U.S. dollar millionaire at an early age from online poker, and today he's teaching men how to stop overthinking, find their passion, and develop the confidence to go for their dreams through social media coaching and his podcast, BecomingGreat.com. He's also involved in BuildingGreat.com, a company that will give away 100% of its profits to help the environment. Today on the show, we do a deep dive into Emil's early career as a poker player and a lot of the lessons that he learned from becoming a world-class poker player and how they have translated to success in his life and the life of many of his clients. So we learn things like, for example, keys to confidence in life and in everything that you do, how to keep at life despite having multiple instances of bad luck that seem to get strung altogether, how to create systems for life that enable you to perform at the highest levels. And how to know what sacrifices are good to make and which you should never make. How to string together multiple small successes in order to create decades of huge successes and so much more. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And with that, let's jump right in. Emil Ekvart, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am very grateful that you've taken the time to come on the show. You were came highly recommended from one of our previous guests, Josh Rhodes, mm. uh, for the show. So after hearing him talk and doing the research that I did for this show, I, I'm really excited to have you on. I think we're going to have a really cool and interesting conversation. But before we jump in, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Thank you so much for those words. I feel very appreciated. And Josh is an amazing guy. I had so much fun uh, being interviewed by him myself. And um, 
I'm like one of those mushrooms you eat in Super Mario. I make people grow bigger <laughs> and start Super Mario. Yeah, and start I've spitting fireballs. <laughs> yeah, I upgrade people's lives by teaching them uh, strategies and uh, mindsets that I learned as a professional poker players. Good systems to live a good life. Okay, very. In- this is going to be very interesting, I'm sure, because not mm-hmm. very many coaches come from a poker background. Um, that was one of the things as I was doing your research, I thought, this is so fascinating. Emil's story around poker and how he got into what he's doing now for coaching. So um, with that, let's let's just jump into your poker story. How, how did you get into poker? The fact that I got into poker and also that I got into poker at the right time, meaning when poker just came to the internet was just fantastic luck. Like, I'm so, so lucky. Kind of early 2000s in my head is what I would imagine, right? Exactly. And it started just by randomness. I was sitting at a table and all of a sudden, I was with a couple of friends from my school and all of a sudden, just my whole psyche changed. I started seeing everything. I started to get into a flow state I had never experienced before. It was a consciousness that I just, a type of focus and passion and just a deep interest and that was the first time I played. It was five card poker with some friends. And um, so it was physical poker is what you get into. Physical initially. poker with some friends. Okay. And we played just for a couple of cents. And uh, it was so much fun. The only problem is that my friends only wanted to play every other week. And they didn't want to play anymore when I started winning their money. So, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> of course. So instead, I started to look towards where there is action 24-7, which is the internet. Mm-hmm. But by then I was 17 and underaged. So my only wish for my 17th birthday was to get $30 to play for online. And I got that from my mom and to play on her account. And everything I own today is uh, from those $30. So wait, so everything you're saying that from that point forward, you move forward and that $30 became the foundation for all of your future successes in poker? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So I know from my research about you that there are times where poker players go through downswings. Are you saying that from that $30, you never had a big enough downswing that you effectively got back to zero? You you were just successful from that point on? I had big downswings. So yeah, I started with those $30 and I started winning. And I remember... I was 17 and I had won $2,000. And uh, I told that to a girl in my class. And she said, wow, what are you going to buy for the money? And I just looked at her as as if she was an alien. What do you mean (laughs) buy something for this money? This money is to play poker for more money. The only thing I wanted was to play. It's an investment, effectively. Yeah, not even that. It's more... Do you remember when you were a kid, maybe? You seem like a guy that has an entrepreneurial spirit and you mm-hmm. try to build towers, you know? Mm-hmm. You just want to build a tower that is as big as possible. Because yep. I saw people online playing for hundreds and thousands and ten thousands of dollars. And I said, wow, I want to do that. So it was always play and not so much about the money. And uh, I think that attitude, that it didn't feel like work, it always felt like play and a very positive kind of competition for me, allowed me to uh, yeah, make money fast from this. When I was 19, I had made $100,000. Holy mackerel. So in two years, yeah. you went from 30 bucks to $100,000. That's incredible. 
Yeah, and imagine how much money that felt like for a 19-year-old. Uh, yeah. All of I my mean, friends for most were, people, $100,000 is a lot of money. Yeah, most of my friends didn't even have $1,000 at that point. So, uh, yeah, you can imagine how proud I was and how I felt about my achievement. Yeah. And by that time, I had also rented an office in Stockholm where I invited four other poker players. So we were sitting there and playing professionally. And I started really building my identity around being a professional poker player, being successful, uh, being rich. I wanted people to see that. Yeah. And that is when my first big downswing hit. Okay, well, maybe let's let's take a pause for a second here. Maybe yeah. explain to those who aren't big into poker. I only know this because of my research, but perhaps explain to listeners what is a, a downswing and what is this? Because as I know, it's a very normal thing within the poker world. Perhaps explain to them what is a downswing and then tell us what was that experience like and how did you get through it? Right. So in poker, you exploit small edges, meaning small advantages over your opponents. So if you and I were to play poker now, even though I have played maybe 20,000 hours of poker, if we played one game, you would still have maybe 40% chance to win over me. And that's the beauty of poker, right? Because if the bad players didn't have a chance to win, they wouldn't play, and then there wouldn't be any money in the game. So if you look at chess, there's no one playing chess for money because you always know who's going to win. So poker is a game of luck. and in a game where you exploit very small edges, maybe like a 55-45 edge or a 51% edge, that means that you can go for thousands or ten thousands and hundred thousands of hands of poker and lose even though you are, though you are the, big, the better player. And this happens all the time. And the smaller your edges are, the more swings you're going to have. Ooh, interesting. And, okay. And this was the first time I experienced a big downswing. And um, it lasted for about three months. And in the worst part of it, I had 28 losing days in one month. Even though I was playing 15 hours a day on nine tables at the same time, I would just, I couldn't win a hand. Like, it didn't wow. matter. Either I got, this, uh, got the worst bad cards all the time, or I had the best card, but they caught a lucky card on, uh, on the end of the hand. And uh, yeah. I'm getting an image to me now being like a month into it, being out in the forest here in Stockholm and it's like crying and hitting on trees and stuff. Just being so desperate, not knowing what to do. Uh, Yeah. I just couldn't win. So I I had to watch that bankroll of a hundred thousand dollars that I had shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until I was down to 20,000. And that was three months in, and I couldn't even remember what it was like winning anymore. And I mean, it was the first time I experienced this, right? And I had a voice in my head telling me, I am playing better. I see the logic and Mm -hmm. the strategy and how money is going back and forth. And I see mathematically that I have an edge here, but I just keep losing. And I couldn't believe it was true. So I was just in panic. And I, I, up to that point, I hadn't felt that many like terrified emotions all the time i was convinced that i would lose everything i can't even imagine going through something like that 28 days in a row losing money 28 every days s- in a in a month but 28 yeah. days in a month okay yeah. well even then i mean there's usually 30 days in a month you know 30 31 so that means you only had two or three days in an entire month where you weren't up 
uh, yeah. you were, that you were up that I can't even imagine the mental battle that you must have been going through in that month. Um, Look, looking myself in the mirror at three months in looking at me and trying to say today is going to be different felt almost impossible and then sitting down and the first thing that happened is that i would lose a big hand hmm. so i guess that begs the question then other than just you gotta get just keep pushing through it i mean how did you cope with that how did you cope with the I don't know if I want to say the stress or the doubt that was likely coming during that time. How did you cope with that during that period? I was really lucky that I enjoyed the game so much and that I had confidence in my ability. I was a pretty insecure kid. Most of my actions outside of poker show that this is an insecure guy. Mm -hmm. But as an introvert, I was confident in this one vertical. Um, and I think confidence is, you know, willingness to go for something you want, despite your doubts and fears. And uh, here I was willing to do it. And I, I think it was really lucky that I was put in a position where I was willingly enduring those emotions because that is one of the biggest gifts that poker have brought me, I think, which is to experience a wider range of uh, difficult emotions uh, voluntarily. Mm. I really think that made me a lot stronger. So uh, I was just lucky that I had a mindset to keep going forward and being willing to stay in there. Now, I think even if you were you know, lucky as a kid to have that mindset, I think it's a good lesson for anyone listening to this podcast who's going through hard things. Uh, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like the, the, the specific thing about your mindset that you had that was good was that you had confidence and faith in th the outcomes, the game, the probabilities, however you want to describe it type of thing. And you could kind of hang your hat on that. Is mm -hmm. that kind of an accurate representation of what you were saying? I made a transition uh, within poker to um, going into it. I came from more or less professional sports and there mm -hmm. it's all about winning. Mm -hmm. In poker, you will quickly realize that you can do everything right and still lose. In sports, you only value it. How good was this game? Did we win yeah. or lose? Yeah. That mindset is not working in poker because you quickly realize that a lot of things are outside of your control. Luck mm -hmm. is one of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing is true in life, but just, just not as extreme. So one of the most important things I learned from that experience and from playing poker is that you need to base your confidence on things that are in your control. And that is mm. the actions you take, not the outcome of the actions you're taking. Because I'm always in control of the decisions I make. How well do I prepare? How much? How well do I prepare before the sessions? How good mm -hmm. do I sleep? How good do I exercise? How good do I eat? How much time do I spend analyzing my opponents? How solid is my emotional state that I bring into the session? Mm -hmm. Those things are in my control, the input, but the output is none of my business. And a big reason I was suffering so much was that I was analyzing the output. Almost all of my attention mm -hmm. was in my emotional body saying, oh, why is this happening to me? It's so unfair. He's so lucky. I'm the better player. How can I lose? How, why is this happening? God must hate me. 
And all time spent on that is time not spent on analyzing you. What you can actually control. What you are doing, what you are responsible for. You know, it's not my fault that I'm being extremely unlucky in this situation, but it's my responsibility to uh, bring in my best self into that situation. I really like that. I think there is a, a confidence that does come through you being prepared, you having done what you need to do, what you can control in any given situation, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just, as you were talking, I was thinking of various situations where this would apply um, in my own life. Um, like, you know, I, I work in, in wealth management and financial planning. And when I go and meet with a prospect, the only thing I can control is my preparation and my, the work that I've done to be ready to answer their questions, to help them in you know the best possible way. That's what I can control. I can control if they're going to decide to, you know, become a client. I can control um, if they're going to, how they're going to respond and react or the questions that they're going to ask, you know, that's, that's all outside of my control. But I, I like this idea that confidence comes it's based off of what you can control, not other people. Yes. If your confidence is based off of other people and what they do, it's pretty shaky. It's very unshaky and shaky. It's one of the core principles of confidence. You need to base your confidence on things that are in your control. The same, it's a beautiful example when you go on sales meeting. Mm-hmm. Same is very much true for dating. Look, you mm, know, if you walk okay, up yeah. to a woman that you're interested in, 80% of her reaction has probably nothing to do with you. You know, she might be having a boyfriend. She might be having diarrhea. You have no idea, (laughs) right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. So one of the things I learned from poker is that when you come out of a sales meeting, regardless if you, when you don't get the clients, there are still things you did right. And you should give yourself uh, encouragement and show proudness for that. At the same time, when you get the client, that doesn't mean that you have done it well. That's one of the more humbling things in poker as well. I can go for 28 winning days in a month and actually not put my best effort in. So to be able to spot that as well, mm-hmm. that I got the clients, but hey, I could have done a lot of things differently here. So yeah. it's, it's easy to get lazy as well when you're having an upswing. Mm-hmm. I think it's all of a sudden, as you're talking about this, I'm like, man, this is such a, a true principle for so many different areas of life. Like, yep. for example, parenting is another one, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could be raising really, really great kids and that's nothing of your own doing. It could just be because your kid is, you know, a pretty easy kid. And then all of a sudden yep. you have another kid that comes along and it's a pain in the butt and you realize, okay, maybe I need to get a lot better at this thing. Right. Yep. Um, that's something great, that great most poker players will come out of that experience with most professionals is that they will have a whole other respect for how big the influence of luck is. Oh, I'm sure. So it's very much true for, for investment. When someone comes to me and say, yeah, I beat the index uh, five years in a row. I said, do that for three more lifetime, lifetimes and then we can talk. <laughs> you know, that's my mindset. You know, if, someone, if someone does well with their first business, start five more and then come back because variance plays such a big role short term. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I also learned that when you play enough, you lower the effect of variance, right? So if you and I played one game, yeah, you, you would, I would, the edges, I would have right? play enough times, yeah. and you. If we played one game, I would have six, I would have sixty forty of winning. If we played ten games, maybe nine to ten. If we play a hundred games, thousand games. If we play a million games, your chance of winning would be almost zero. Yeah. 
So you need to get the volume in, which is you need to play a lot to mm-hmm. minimize the effect of luck and maximize the effect of your decisions. And one of the things that keeps coming to mind is, you know, how in the world did you improve so quickly, right? You know, you talk about this idea of getting reps. So clearly doing it enough times, exploiting those edges is part of that, that process. But you also mentioned this idea that like you could, ha- you could just not show up well and still win, mm-hmm. or you could show up great and lose. How did you, how did you improve so quickly from that, you know, 17 to 20 or, you know, early twenties range to do become such a prolific poker player. And despite the fact that sometimes you might not show up and still win, how did you, did you have a system that you used to help yourself improve? Were there specific things that you purposely did, or is it just kind of because you had the passion for it? It just happened type of thing. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. So everything that is happening in poker is a decision you need to make. Mm-hmm. And every decision you need to make is a problem. And life works the same way. Everything you do in life is some kind of problem. After this, you might go <laughs> and decide, should I drink a cup of coffee or should I go and talk with my girlfriend? And then you talk with your girlfriend and then she's having a problem and then you're helping her. And then it, it doesn't matter. You're always going to have decisions and problems that you need to solve. And whenever you have a problem, there are three options at your disposal. One, you can distract yourself from a problem. Two, you can improvise how to solve that problem. Or three, you can build a system so you understand how to solve that problem the next time. So most amateur poker players, they are in a, they play a hand of poker, an outcome happens, and they start feeling emotions, they get data points, But instead of analyzing that, they just ignore them and just play the next hand. If you ignore your problems, whether that is as a poker player or in life, you are always going to remain at the same level or maybe even go to a worse level than you were before. That would be the the opposite of upgrading your life. Yeah. Better than that is to improvise your problems, like sitting down. Okay, I have all this data. I have these emotions. Next time that is happening, I will, I will do this, you know, or, uh, or just trying to solve your problems on the fly, trying to do better decisions. Mm-hmm. And that is good. But what's even better is that if you see every problem you stand in front of, not as the problem itself, but if you see what in here can I build a system out of, and the more system you build, the better are you going to make decisions overall. So what was it, what systems did you use in poker to help you learn how to play the game and improve on the game? Right. So in poker, what you want to do is you want to automate as many decisions as possible. You want to mm-hmm. decide beforehand on which hands am I going to raise before the flop? Which hands am I going to re-raise before the flop? Which hands am I going to re-re-raise before the hands start? And you have fixed strategies so that when you're in there, in the moment, you don't need to think. You just do what you have said that you will do, right? A similar system in your life might be honesty in a relationship. For example, one system I have is that if something happens in my relationship and I start feeling a sense of uh, discomfort or I might feel um, 
resentment towards my girlfriend, I always think about that and share that to her. I never ignore those feelings because if I do, I will start building resentment and our relationship will get worse over time. So a system I have is I always stay present with those emotions. I always ask them certain questions and trying to understand them. And then I always bring that up to my girlfriend, regardless of how, how uncomfortable that is. So it's not a reactive decision. I do that decision depending on, regardless of how I feel. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. I think this is a great, <clears throat> this is a great thing for everyone to kind of think through their own lives think through the current systems that they have or the places where they might be on the fly or just ignoring mm -hmm. their problems and see what systems they could implement, implement uh, that would improve their lives. Um, I know for myself, implementing certain systems, whether it's at work with tasks that need to get done or in my relationships, like you said, um, a system just makes things easier. It just takes a lot of that brain power and the, the energy and the focus away from that specific thing and enables you to conserve that energy for those times when you might not have a system to help you make mm -hmm. a better choice later. Um, at least that's been my experience. I don't know if that's been your experience as well uh, when, as you've tried to create these systems professionally and, and personally in your life as well. Exactly. So two years ago on Valentine's Day, mm -hmm. uh, before I met my current girlfriend, I... Um, Actually, one week before Valentine's Day, I was at my supermarket and uh, it was five minutes before it was going to close. And I saw a woman I was attracted to in one of the cashiers. I said, oh, she looks interesting. So I went there to pay for my stuff and she was talking with her friend in the other cashier. And she said, mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to work next Valentine's and I don't have a date. So I thought to myself, okay, I will come back next week and I will buy her a bouquet of flowers, and I will ask her out. Coming back one week later, I go to her cashier, I buy her uh, a bouquet of flowers, and I give it to them and say, hey, this is for you. I wanted you to feel appreciated on Valentine's Day. And she's looking at me like I am like the creepiest person in the <laughs> entire world. She's like, uh, thanks. Like she doesn't want them. And it becomes so uncomfortable, you know, when it's just yeah. the atmosphere felt like porridge in the cashier. <laughs> and then sure. I don't, I'm not sure if I should like take it back or to, uh, I tried to give her my number, but she like, she didn't call. It was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and then one week later, I got back again to the same supermarket five minutes before closing. And I had just come from the gym. I was wearing my glasses. I didn't have a nice haircut. I was smelling bad. And I just felt in the worst possible state for talking to a woman. And now she was in one of the cashiers. And in the other cashier was uh, an old man. And I was saying, okay, so should I go and speak to the woman? Or should I go and speak to the old man? And I think here is, an, is one of those moments where I have options, right? Mm -hmm. If I choose to have a good day, I'm probably going to distract myself from this situation, meaning I will go to the old man instead and just not feel the uncomfortableness. But also I will not learn anything. You know, my life will be exactly the same after that moment. Or I can improvise 
right? And say, uh, okay, what should I do? I know I should, I should okay, I'll just throw myself into her, right? Yeah. So I, I, exp- I go there and I take my chances, but I do it in the moment. And mm-hmm. to do that, I need a lot of willpower. Yeah. Not easy to make that decision. A system would be that, okay, I am a person that if I have the opportunity, if I feel that sense of uncomfortableness in my stomach that I don't want to do this, I override that feeling and I do it anyway because I want to be a person that is comfortable with feelings of rejection, shame, uncomfortableness, because being comfortable with that can help me in other areas of my life. So now, I am not doing it. It has nothing to do with the situation. It has to do with my values of, I want to be a person Mm. that goes against this difficult emotion. And I do it to improve my whole life. It has nothing to do with this situation. I have built a system for how I want to live. I'm not not improvising. I'm not distracting myself. And every problem you have, there is a system inside that you can probably use for your whole life. I really like that. It it goes from completely not focused on the situation to focused on your values. That was a really cool distinction there. I like that because then I I think we do this in a lot of areas of our lives without really thinking about it in certain ways. Like I don't like, for example, for me growing up in church, right? There were certain things where it's like, okay, they teach you as a kid. Okay. We're not going to do those things. So you make the decision beforehand that that I'm not going to do X, Y, Z, right? Mm -hmm. It's a very similar type of concept here. But you can apply mm-hmm. it, as you're showing here, in so many other areas of your life. If your value is, I consider myself, I view myself as someone who, like you said, follows those feelings with, you know, who goes against them because you're the kind of person that embraces the discomfort, then it's no longer a question. It's not, oh, should I? It's, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. This is who I am. And that, that's fantastic. I think that's a great, that's a great little piece of advice there for life. Right. Find out what are the things that are important to you. What are your values? What are, how do you view yourself? And then act in accordance with that belief uh, throughout your day. Really, really like that. That's awesome. So, Emil, as I've done research on you and listened to you in other podcasts, uh, you mentioned that you brought this just incredible level of focus to your poker playing. You, like you mentioned earlier, you're playing for many, many hours a day, multiple hands at a time. Um, but this led you to sacrifice and make some bad decisions in some of the other areas of your life. And, and this is a very normal thing for many high achievers, right? If you, if you go all in on, on one thing, like you definitely did, you tend to forget and uh, not give enough time to those other areas of your life. So what advice would you give to someone who wants to avoid a similar mistake on their own road to success? Beautiful question. And my answer would be to get clear on your values because sacrifice is a beautiful thing. It means that I have chosen what is important for me and I will say no to or ignore everything else. The problem that I made is that my, I said my value is get as good on poker at poker as possible. And that was a kind of a vague value because built in that was to be seen as someone that was successful or I wanted to make $10 million, Mm -hmm. a number I just made up. Or um, I wanted to play on the highest stakes. And all of those values were 
first of all, kind of out of my control. It's um, it's not in my control, the results I'm having. And we have already been covering that. Making money is not the best kind of goal because it's not based on what I'm putting into the machine, not my input. Uh, it's a goal based on my output. So that is not a strong value to begin with. But the problem is that I didn't have um, values uh, when it inside of health, inside of relationships, mm. inside of um, most topics that create uh, physical and emotional well-being. So I was playing poker and sacrificed everything else. I had a girlfriend for six years, and ninety-nine um, percent of what I cared about, honestly, was the success in poker. And I think so much of my identity was derived from there, and. I, I got obsessed by it. So I'm actually surprised she stayed with me for six years. As I say, well, if you're playing poker yeah. 18 plus hours a day, that that's good for we, her, I guess. We didn't go to bed together for years at the same time. <sighs> yeah, and like so many of our conflicts that we had was just a result of me not paying any attention to relationship. It wasn't a part of my values. And I couldn't see how strong health and relationships were helpful to me being as successful as possible in poker. So yeah, our relationship just got worse and worse. My health got worse and worse. Uh, I started getting injured. I got started getting sick. I started getting depressed. And um, when she left me, the only thing that remained was poker. I, um, I, and I went into another downswing at that point as well, where I would just lose again for three, four, five months. And I tried to solve that by just playing more because mm -hmm. it felt like poker was the only important thing. And when that went bad, it felt like I was bad. It felt like my whole life sucked. Like I lost my whole identity. So the only thing I did for months was just to play and um, yeah, the world just felt dark and I started losing my s ability to just being happy and enjoy even the successes in poker. I remember one evening I was playing against a French opponent and I started the day with 45,000 euros in my bankroll on that site. And it was going so horrible. He was just crushing me, even though I felt like I was playing a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I lost down, so I only had 4,000 euros left on that account. But then I won a hand, and one more, and one more. And I started getting this money back. And maybe you met someone from France, but they can be hot-tempered. And <laughs> his temper did not serve him, let's put it that way. He started making huge mistakes over and mm -hmm. over. And I won everything back that I had lost. And then I took his entire bankroll and ended the day with over 90,000 in my account. My biggest winning day for the year, and this was in November. And I went out on the balcony and um, smoked a cigarette back then. That's how lousy I was feeling. And um, I was relieved. I was um, pleased that I had won it back. But I didn't feel a sense of joy or happiness almost at all. It, 
I know three years earlier, I would have been like, th- I would have been jumping, Lated, being thrilled, sure. like called yeah. my friends, but I, it just, it, w- it was like I was viewing the world through a very dark pair of sunglasses. It's like and your emotion uh, had been stripped out. It was almost just robotic. I felt like point, a robot. Like. I felt like a robot. And um, yeah, I knew something was wrong then. I woke up the next day and I Googled, how, do I be ha- how can I be happy? Because I had no idea. So then, just from my research, I know that this led you on quite the journey um, mm-hmm. afterwards. So what happened next? What happened after you Googled, how do I be happy? Right. So I knew that I needed to change something. And yeah. the poker market had started to become worse. It was booming in the beginning, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it was quite easy to make money. But now I felt this was seven or eight years in that I can actually take a break now. It wouldn't be the worst thing. So I took a break and I went on my own to the US and I did a road trip with intention of trying to opening up my social skills again, because I had gotten like so socially incompetent. I had practiced to make myself into a robot when I was playing. If I don't feel the happiness when I'm winning, it's not going to be as painful when I'm losing. Mm. And that disconnect from my emotion had made me very robotic. I'm still a logical guy, but back then I was, I, I had lost my ability to connect with people. And I knew I had Vanity to change that. Yeah. So I went on my own to the US to go on a road trip. And I said, I'm going to go to one new city each day. And I'm going to talk to strangers just to get out of this comfort zone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I started reading everything I could about personal development and spirituality and health and all those things I had neglected. And it turned out that my passion I had in the beginning for poker started spilling totally over into personal development. And I thought, oh, okay, not, I remember what it felt like when I was 16 again. And it was so fun, <laughs> and, you know, waking up and just wanting to learn and absorb and make better decisions. So, yeah, there was a big switch, passion away from poker into personal development. So were there any particular resources that you found most valuable or um, philosophies that you really connected with in, during that journey? Yeah, I remember I took one book in my hand and for some reason the hair on the back of my neck started standing up and I got shivers. It was a book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's it's a very popular book. I've sold a lot of copies. Some people really enjoy it. Some people don't get it. Some people think it's maybe too much of an introduction to spirituality. But it's all about how the ego works, right? And how our mind is creating suffering for us. And I was so lost that everything I read in that book was just new, something new for me. Mm -hmm. For example, I didn't understand, I I was my mind. I I didn't understand that I can observe my thoughts. So I was, I was my ego. Mm, So reading that book and understand that, okay, not only is 99% of the thoughts I'm thinking unnecessary and repetitive, they're actually creating suffering for me. So that book was, I could have found other books, but just that introduction to the idea that I can work with my mind and emotions Mm -hmm. and upgrade them the same way that I upgraded my understanding as a poker player. 
that was a huge shift for me. Yeah, I can imagine it, that would be a huge shift for anyone. Um, so then what wound up happening as a result of going on this trip and, you know, reading the power of now and a bunch of other books, what happened next? Right. So I moved to Berlin and stayed there one year, not working, only reading about spirituality and personal development for a whole year. So I did that. Cold turkey quit on poker and all in on personal development and spirituality felt the calling that this is what i should do now similar to when i found poker something said school is not important anymore this is what i should do now it was the same kind of calling so i was there for a year and um, in the end of that year i went to uh, malta to play a live poker tournament Mm, i was still because then i started playing a little bit again after a year it didn't really feel the same, but I felt I could still make some good money here, so I would play. And um, so I was late to this tournament, and I ran through the lobby to get to my table, because if you're late, you start losing your money, and that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. And in the lobby, I heard a voice. Hey, Emil! And that was a friend from back in the day. It's an old poker friend named Eric. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, hey, Eric, I'm going to the, um, I'm going to the table. Uh, but how about we have a dinner later? A voice in me said. He said, yeah, sure, sure. And we used to play poker together when we were 16. But now we sat down at this dinner and it turned out that Eric was, I asked, so what do you do now? And he said, yeah, I'm just about to take this company public called Katina Media. So he had just built this massive online marketing company and had sold it, his chairs for 50 million euros and made a fortune. Wow. Right. And, um, he was in the middle of starting a new project that I'm working for right now called great.com that is doing the same thing in the same business, but this time giving away 100% of the profits to charity because he has all the money he needs. So we sat at this dinner and Eric had something that I needed, some kind of purpose and direction and doing something that is meaningful and is giving value. But Eric had something, I had something that Eric needed because he was so stressed and so close to burnout. And um, he could see that I had gone through a big shift because I had meditated one hour per day for a year. I had changed my whole emotional experience of life. And yeah, there was something in my eyes, some kind of calm that he really wanted. Mm -hmm. So he wanted my stillness and I wanted his direction. So after that, he's been one of my very best friends. Uh, we're working together and we are uh, creating our podcast together, the Becoming Great.com podcast. Yeah, I've listened to both of those. Uh, I've listened to your podcast and I've looked into the company great.com. And you guys are doing some really cool stuff. And the podcast is great for those who, uh, after this, go ahead and check it out. It'll be awesome resources, a lot of really cool stuff, actually, and all these, the episodes you've been putting out. And you talk a lot about entrepreneurship and life and personal development throughout this podcast. Um, As the two of you have been doing this podcast together, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned about personal development and entrepreneurship in the course of creating your podcast? So much. And uh, the ones who are benefiting the most from the podcast are me and Eric, because it's funny how that the, happens, right? <laughs> right. The best way to learn something is to teach it. Because when you are trying to teach something, you or when you write something, you discover everything you don't know. 
all the problems in your thinking and everywhere where you are unclear. So when we began this podcast, we released one episode uh, per week. And uh, so we planned it on a Tuesday and we released it on a Wednesday. But then we realized that, okay, when we want to dive deep into concepts like how do you build self-esteem or how do you build confidence or um, how can you start making money online or how do you network or what are healthy relationships? It's hard to, um, when we're just talking about them, not preparing so much, we can only share what we already know. But we want to do this so we can learn new things. Mm-hmm. So what we have done now is we have removed the release date. So we're preparing six hours every week, like before, but we have no release date. So the last episode about confidence, I think we spent 50 hours planning. Wow. Yeah. And really taking a deep dive into uh, what are the pillars that create a strong self-confidence. And one of the main things we have learned is that it's hard for two people to collaborate in a creative project. (laughs) (laughs) And, And also learned the importance of what I mentioned earlier in this podcast, that if someone is starting to feel frustration or resentment, you need to deal with that before you move on, because otherwise both people are going to start creating a negative association to that relationship and to the process. So I think so many people, when they start a creative project, may it be a YouTube channel, an Instagram account, a podcast, but the first thing they do is they Google, how uh, do I start a YouTube channel? And the first mm-hmm. hits you're going to get are, how do I get as many views as possible? Mm-hmm. How do I scale this? How do I do my marketing? Uh, how do I yeah, make this better for the audience? I think that's such a risky place to start because the most important thing when you do a creative thing is that you don't stop. That should be your number one priority because if you don't stop, you will learn and then you will get a better product for the, for the listener. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to keep doing something, the most important thing is that it's fun and that you have a positive relationship to it. So that's why our priority is our relationship in this. If someone is upset, we skip planning and we take time to talk about that. And we only evaluate ourselves based on how much time do we put in? What quality do we have when we put it in? And are we solving our emotional differences? And can you see that all of those three are things that are completely in our control. That's exactly what I was about to say. I'm like, oh, look at that. Back to this idea that it's all in your control. Love it. And that came from poker, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it has been surprisingly hard to collaborate to people. Um, But also... That might be the reason why I'm the only host on Contenders Wanted, (laughs) because I didn't want to have to deal with that personally. Exactly. So one of the biggest insights is how important it is to have fun as just the foundation for any creative work. As soon as you start creating a negative association, look at that. And the next foundation after that is to learn and to get better. Yeah. And after that, can I give value to you know one person in the audience and then maybe start thinking about scaling? But most people do that in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And there's a lot of people that do the same thing going into business, right? Oh, I, I just want to make a bunch of money or I just want to do X, Y, Z instead of thinking, you know, do I enjoy this? Is this fun? Am I, can I give some value to some people and then worry about the other stuff as it comes along? Exactly. So 
one question we always ask ourselves is, could we do this for 10 years? Because we don't want to look for good days. We want to look for good decades. Could I do this for 10 years or is this wearing me out? You know, long-term thinking is a very central value for me and Eric. And I think it's a big reason why we are doing well with the podcast. So when I played poker, I was not taking care of my health, my relationships. I was sleeping way too little. And um, so I made a lot of money. I made over a million dollars in seven years. And that's like fantastic. But I think given the lifestyle I was having, uh, I, I'm sure I was aging at two times the speed Mm, as I would if I would have taken care of myself. So one big part of our, of my long-term thinking now is how can I slow down the aging process? So it's very important for me that I don't, I feel good about what I do. I have time to sleep and relax and recover. I have time for exercise. I have time for, you know, eating and good supplementation and all that stuff. If I'm moving faster than that, I'm moving too fast. My 100% speed is the tempo I could keep for the rest of my life without it wearing me down. And anything faster than that is too fast. And the challenge for someone like me or you that wants to do a lot of things and have a lot of drive is that we can always run faster than our 100%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do sometimes. I've been on 120% this year, but I'm aware of that that is not sustainable. Yeah. You know, Overachieving gets thrown around like it's a good term. But there's no such thing. Like your 100% is 100%. You can perform higher than that for a while, but you're building up a depth and you're going to have to repay that either by crashing or by aging quicker. That's a really good point. Um, We actually had a guest on uh, a few episodes back named Fraser Cameron. And this is effectively his whole philosophy. He's kind of on a mission. And one of his things is that this idea of the hustle culture Hustle and grinding mm-hmm. culture is terrible because of this exact reason, right? Everyone has their 100%, but <clears throat> there's so many people that are saying, oh, no, you got to be 150, 120%. You got to be all in all the time. And he's like, no, that'll just kill you. And mm-hmm. it's, it won't lead to your success, frankly. Um, but I like this idea of find your 100%. That's the level that you, you, can't, you don't do for days, but for decades. I love that because it's, it's in the something. decades of consistency and just to borrow a poker reference here, exploiting the edges of our lives where the greatest impact is made, right? If you can only be consistent for a few days, that's really not going to change your life. But if you can string a few days into a few months, into a few years, suddenly then you can really start to see a big change happening in your life. Totally. All remarkable results come from very unremarkable things being done daily and most important things you do like write writing for one day is very Mm -hmm. unremarkable but writing every day for a decade is remarkable yeah and if you keep going that means that the value of your first day is going to get higher like if you write your first day and then you stop the value of your first day is going to go down but Mm -hmm. if you keep going the value of that first decision is just going to keep rising and rising and rising And one of the biggest insights in this for me was I read a book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And he showed all the research on sleep and showed that if you sleep six hours per day instead of eight, like you're going to have 
like 30% worse immune system and you're going to be more susceptible to all the diseases that you don't want all the big killers like diabetes heart disease alzheimer's heart attacks and um, your memory is going to be worse and you're going to uh, live on average shorter so i was mm. like okay so by being in this hustle culture and sleeping six hours per night i'm actually not m getting more time in my life i'm just dying quicker and mm. something I've been since the, philosophizing on since then is that people are real shit at <laughs> thinking about something that will benefit them far in the future. Yeah. So when people talk about longevity, they think of it as, okay, I would have been 65, but if I take care of myself, I might be 75 instead. So I will have a few more extra years. And people suck at thinking about that. That's why yeah. we can't take action on climate change. But it, if you instead look at it as you will age slower. So if you look at every year of your life or every day of your life, it's like a picture in a frame. Mm -hmm. You're not going to add frames in the end of your life. You're going to add frames distributed through your whole life. So you will spend more time as a 20-year-old, more time as a 30-year-old, more time as a 40-year-old. So, you know, hustling is not saving you time. It's just making you feel miserable your whole life and you're not going to be more productive. Yeah. I love that. And it's so true, frankly. Uh, I, in the last couple of months, I kind of have become tuned into this idea that I need to sleep a little bit more, kind of, instead of going the 120, pull it back to about a, my 100, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I'll tell you right now, it doesn't make any sense, but the, at least in my mind, it doesn't make any sense. I, uh, I've gotten more sleep, taking care, better care of myself and my overall quality of life is better. Like you said, putting those yeah. frames throughout life now, instead of just at the end. Um, mm -hmm. I like that. That was a, that's a really cool analogy. And since your podcast is contenders wanted, the thing that gets in the way of thinking like this is that when we view life as a multiplayer game, instead of a single player game. Ooh, like the, what do you mean by that? The thing is, if you, if your goal is money or success, like mine was, mm -hmm. you're going to compare that to either people in your same age group or, okay, this guy made 30 millions before he was 30. So, you know, you're ranking yourself in the hierarchy and that is preventing you from taking the long-term strategy. Like you need to play, you need to be the only person in your game. I really like that. Yeah, the, and my, you, you my, can still you can still get the positive aspects of competing. I do jujitsu with Eric. That's fantastic. I could never train that hard otherwise. Mm -hmm. But it's still a one-player game. My dad has a saying that I mean, and <clears throat> he says it, but I'm sure it's from somewhere else. He says, "Comparison is the thief of joy." Yeah. And I, I think this is going right along with what you're saying here: multiplayer versus single player. Right? We've got to stick to what you can control, what you can do in your lane, play a, a single player game. I really yeah. like that. And I mean, even if you are competing, I think having a lifestyle where you always prioritize longevity, meaning aging slow, mm -hmm. then you're going to have a big advantage in the end of your life because there's no one else thinking like that. True. The last mile is always the least crowded because most people take very short-term decision decisions. And I think the people that do the best in life are those that are thinking, how can I create good decades, not good days? Love that. I love good, all this stuff. Good, yeah, good decades is picking the cashier 
with the girl, the uncomfortable yep. cashier. Picking a good decade is thinking, okay, how can I build a system here instead of just improvising? A good decade is how can I sleep, eat, have a solid relationship that gives me energy? It's not going to be a quick fix, but the more we think of decades, the higher our average productivity or the sum of our productivity for our whole life is going to be. Well, Emil, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that the longer we can, the more we can think long-term, the, the better for our lives overall it'll be for ours and for frankly, everyone else around us. That's a, that's a great point. Um, well, Emil, I want to be cognizant of your time. I really appreciate you taking the time coming out with us today. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. The, there is one question that we always end every podcast with, and that is, what does it mean to you to be a contender? Beautiful question. So when I was younger and I was into sport, everything for me was about winning and everything the coaches wanted was about winning. When I got into poker, I wanted to win. And I think we can use competition to make ourselves go to higher levels. But a mindset I always want to have is I want to play in better competitions. So when mm -hmm. I played sports, I wanted to win the game. But today I would ask myself, how can I win at life? What systems can I build in this competition that will make me better at life? That could be leadership skills. That could be a work ethic. That could be um, being good at encouraging other players. Those are skills then that are in my control. And if that is what I'm evaluating myself on, not only is that going to make me probably a better contender, but it's going to put uh, myself in control. And uh, if I only evaluate things that I'm in control over, I'm going to get a lot more confident. So we talked about it before. Life is a single player game. So evaluate the result of your competition only on things that you are in control over. Because you're not in control of the, if you get where, if your shot goes in or out of the referee, of how the other, the other play, team might be super good. That's probably the biggest reason why you're not winning, right? So compete on your own based on your values and uh, prioritize collaboration. Love it. All great piece of advice right there. Love it. Well, Emil, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, would you like to take a moment here at the end and let listeners know how they can learn more about you and more about what it is that you do? Yeah, I want to feed as many people as possible with those Super Mario mushrooms that I mentioned. <laughs> I love to see people grow. And um, I'm, I want to spend as much time as possible to share everything I learn on my journey for free in our becominggreat.com podcast or on my Instagram or on my YouTube. I really want to give away a lot of valuable ideas and want to get better at doing it over time. Uh, so Find me on YouTube, Instagram. I'm Emil Ekvart there. Uh, you can find a link in the description, most likely. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, I also offer one-on-one -on -one, uh, personal development coaching. And you can find that on my website, whatsmissing.com. All right. Well, we'll leave links to all of those things in the show notes for any listeners that want to get a hold of you. Thank you again, Emil, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. I had a lot of fun and I feel very comforted. Uh, with you as a host. Well, thank you. I very much appreciate that.
All right, contenders, that's a wrap of episode 22. As I look back on the episode and I thought about things after doing the recording with Emil, there's one line that really just stuck out to me personally. And that line is this idea that you're creating great decades, not great days. Ever since Emil said that, it's just been going through my head over and over and over again. And as I was thinking about that, it reminded me of a couple of other things in my life I've heard before. So, for example, there's a scripture that I know of that says, By small and simple things are great things brought to pass. And then I came across this quote from the author James N. Watkins that says, A river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. All three of these quotes are all saying effectively the same thing. You just have to keep at it. It's not a single day. It's not a single week. It's not a single month. It's not a single year of action. It's a decade. It's that continued persistence. It's that small and simple things that add up over time. So contenders, get out there. Keep at it. And don't give up. When it gets tough, keep going. Because those small and simple things are going to add up. And before you know it, you've turned a great day into a great decade. So what about you? What is your key takeaway from the show? All right. Thank you for joining us today. If you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe and tell a friend about the show. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to visit our website at contenderswanted.com to sign up for our email newsletter. As always, a list of the resources and links we discussed, as well as a recap of the show and more about our guests can be found in the show notes. Please feel free to shoot me an email at rob at contenderswanted.com if you'd like to suggest a guest for the show or just to contact me. I'm always open to any feedback you might have and would love to hear how the show is helping you. So once again, my email is rob at contenderswanted.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, success leaves clues and contenders are always wanted.